0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Jeff Dugweiler. Essays, First Series by Ralph Waldo Emerson Essay 4 Spiritual Laws The living heaven thy prayers respect, House at once an architect, Quarrying man's rejected hours, Builds therewith eternal towers, Soul and self-commanded works, Fears not undermining days, Grows by decays, and by the famous might That lurks in reaction and recoil, Makes flames to freeze and ice to boil, Forging through swart arms of offense The silver seat of innocence. When the act of reflection takes place in the mind, when we look at ourselves in the light of thought, we discover that our life is embosomed in beauty. Behind us as we go, all things assume pleasing forms as clouds do far off. Not only things familiar and stale, but even the tragic and terrible are comely as they take their place in the pictures of memory. The river bank, the weed at the water side, The old house, the foolish person, however neglected in the passing, have a grace in the past. Even the corpse that is lain in the chambers has added a solemn ornament to the house. The soul will not know either deformed at your pain. If in the hours of clear reason we should speak the severest truth, we should say that we had never made a sacrifice. In these hours the mind seems so great that nothing can be taken from us that seems much. All loss, all pain, is particular. The universe remains to the heart unheard. Neither vexations nor calamities abate our trust. No man ever stated his griefs as lightly as he might. Allow for exaggeration in the most patient and sorely ridden hack that ever was driven. For it is only the finite that has wrought and suffered, the infinite lies stretched in smiling repose. The intellectual life may be kept clean and helpful, if man will live the life of nature and not import into his mind difficulties which are none of his. No man need be perplexed in his speculations. Let him do and say what strictly belongs to him, and, though very ignorant of books, his nature shall not yield him any intellectual obstructions and doubts. Our young people are diseased with theological problems of original sin, origin of evil, predestination, and the like. These never presented a practical difficulty to any man, never darkened across any man's road who did not go out of his way to seek them. These are the soul's mumps and measles and whooping coughs, and those who have not caught them cannot describe their health or prescribe the cure. A simple mind will not know these enemies. It is quite another thing that he should be able to give account of his faith and expound to another the theory of his self-union and freedom. This requires rare gifts. Yet without this self-knowledge, there may be sylvan strength and integrity in that which he is. A few strong instincts and a few plain rules suffice us. My will never gave the images in my mind the rank they now take, The regular course of studies, the years of academical and professional education, have not yielded me better facts than some idle books under the bench at the Latin school. What we do not call education is more precious than that which we call so. We form no guess at the time of receiving a thought of its comparative value. An education often wastes its efforts in attempts to thwart and balk this natural magnetism, which is sure to select what belongs to it. In like manner, our moral nature is vitiated by any interference of our will. People represent virtue as a struggle and take to themselves great airs upon their attainments. And the question is everywhere vexed when a noble nature is commended, whether the man is not better who strives with temptation. But there is no merit in the matter. Either God is there or he is not there. We love characters in proportion as they are impulsive and spontaneous. The less a man thinks or knows about his virtues, the better we like him. Timoleon's victories are the best victories, which ran and flowed like Homer's verses, Plutarch said. When we see a soul whose acts are all regal, graceful, and pleasant as roses, we must thank God that such things can be, and are, and not turn sourly on the angel and say, Grump is a better man with his grunting resistance to all his native devils. Not less conspicuous is the preponderance of nature over will in all practical life. There is less intention in history than we ascribe to it. We impute deep-laid, far-sighted plans to Caesar and Napoleon, but the best of their power was in nature, not in them. Men of an extraordinary success in their honest moments have always sung, Not unto us, not unto us. According to the faith of their times, they have built altars to fortune, or to destiny, or to St. Julian. Their success lay in their parallelism to the course of thought, which found in them an unobstructed channel, and the wonders of which they were the visible conductors seemed to the eye their deed. Do the wires generate the galvanism? It is even true that there was less in them on which they could reflect than in another as the virtue of a pipe is to be smooth and hollow. That which externally seemed will and immovableness was willingness and self-annihilation. Could Shakespeare give a theory of Shakespeare? Could ever a man of prodigious mathematical genius convey to others any insight into his methods? If he could communicate that secret, it would instantly lose its exaggerated value, blending with the daylight and the vital energy of the power to stand and to go. The lesson is forcibly taught by these observations, that our life might be much easier and simpler than we make it, that the world might be a happier place than it is, that there is no need of struggles, convulsions, and despairs, of the wringing of the hands and the gnashing of the teeth, that we miscreate our own evils. We interfere with the optimism of nature, for whenever we get this vantage ground of the past or of a wiser mind in the present, we are able to discern the we are begirt with laws which execute themselves the face of external nature teaches the same lesson nature will not have us fret and fume she does not like our benevolence or our learning much better than she likes our frauds and wars when we come out of the caucus or the bank or the abolition convention or the temperance meeting or the transcendental club into the fields and woods she says to us So hot, my little sir. We are full of mechanical actions. We must need intermeddle and have things in our own way until the sacrifices and virtues of society are odious. Love should make joy, but our benevolence is unhappy. Our Sunday schools and churches and pauper societies are yokes to the neck. We pain ourselves to please nobody, there are natural ways of arriving at the same ends at which these aim, but do not arrive. Why should all virtue work in one and the same way? Why should all give dollars? It is very inconvenient to us country folk, and we do not think any good will come of it. We have not dollars, merchants have, let them give them. Farmers will give corn, poets will sing, women will sow, laborers will lend a hand. The children will bring flowers. And why drag this dead weight of a Sunday school over the whole Christendom? It is natural and beautiful that children should inquire and maturity should teach, but it is time enough to answer questions when they are asked. Do not shut up the young people against their will in a pew and force the children to ask them questions for an hour against their will. If we look wider, things are all alike. Laws and letters and creeds and modes of living seem a travesty of truth. Our society is encumbered by ponderous machinery, which resembles the endless aqueducts which the Romans built over hill and dale, and which are superseded by the discovery of the law that water rises to the level of its source. It is a Chinese wall which any nimble tartar can leap over. It is a standing army, not so good as a peace. It is a graduated, titled, richly appointed empire, quite superfluous when town meetings are found to answer just as well. Let us draw a lesson from nature, which always works by short ways. When the fruit is ripe, it falls. When the fruit is dispatched, the leaf falls. The circuit of the waters is mere falling. The walking of man and all animals is a falling forward. All our manual labor and works of strength, as prying, splitting, digging, rowing, and so forth, are done by dint of continual falling, and the globe, earth, moon, comet, sun, star, fall forever and ever. The simplicity of the universe is very different from the simplicity of a machine. He who sees moral nature out and out, and thoroughly knows how knowledge is acquired and character formed, is a pedant. The simplicity of nature is not that which may easily be read, but is inexhaustible. The last analysis can no wise be made. We judge of a man's wisdom by his hope, knowing that the perception of the inexhaustibleness of nature is an immortal youth. The wild fertility of nature is felt in comparing our rigid names and reputations with our fluid consciousness. We pass in the world for sects and schools, for erudition and piety, and we are all the time jejune babes. One sees very well how Pyrrhonism grew up. Every man sees that he is that middle point whereof everything may be affirmed and denied with equal reason. He is old, he is young, he is very wise, he is altogether ignorant. He hears and feels what you say of the seraphim and of the tin peddler there is no permanent wise man except in the figment of the stoics we side with the hero as we read or paint against the coward and the robber but we have been ourselves that coward and robber and shall be again not in the low circumstance but in comparison with the grandeur as possible to the soul a little consideration of what takes place around us every day would show us a higher law than that of our will regulates events, that our painful labors are unnecessary and fruitless, that only in our easy, simple, spontaneous action are we strong, and by contenting ourselves with obedience we become divine. Belief in love, a believing love, will relieve us of a vast load of care. O oh, my brothers, God exists. There is a soul at the center of nature and over the will of every man, so that none of us can wrong the universe. It has so infused its strong enchantment into nature that we prosper when we accept its advice, and when we struggle to wound its creatures, our hands are glued to our sides, or they beat our own breasts. The whole course of things goes to teach us faith. We need only obey. There is guidance for each of us, and by lowly listening we shall hear the right word. Why need you choose so painfully your place and occupation, associates, and modes of action, and of entertainment? Certainly there is a possible right for you that precludes the need of balance and willful election. For you there is a reality, a fit place, and congenial duties. Place yourself in the middle of the stream of power and wisdom, which animates all whom it floats, and you are without effort impelled to truth, to right, and a perfect contentment. Then you put all gainsayers in the wrong. Then you are the world, the measure of right, of truth, of beauty. If we will not be marplots with our miserable interferences, the work, the society, letters, arts, science, religion of men, would go on far better than now, And the heaven predicted from the beginning of the world and still predicted from the bottom of the heart would organize itself as do now the rose and the air and the sun i say do not choose but that is a figure of speech by which i would distinguish what is commonly called choice among men and which is a partial act the choice of the hands of the eyes of the appetites and not a whole act of the man but that which i call right or goodness is the choice of my constitution and that which i call heaven and inwardly aspire after is the state or circumstance desirable to my constitution and the action which i in all my years tend to do is the work for my faculties we must hold a man amenable to reason for the choice of his daily craft or profession it is not an excuse any longer for his deeds that they are the custom of his trade What business is he with an evil trade? Has he not a calling in his character? Each man has his own vocation. The talent is the call. There is one direction in which all space is open to him. He has faculties silently inviting him thither to endless exertion. He is like a ship on a river. He runs against obstructions on every side but one. On that side all obstruction is taken away and he sweeps serenely over a deepening channel into an infinite sea this talent and this call depend on his organization or the mode in which the general soul incarnates itself in him he inclines to do something which is easy to him and good when it is done but which no other man can do he has no rival for the more truly he consults his own powers the more difference will his work exhibit from the work of any other his ambition is exactly proportioned to his powers. The height of the pinnacle is determined by the breadth of the base. Every man has this call of the power to do something unique, and no man has any other call. The pretense that he has another call, a summons by name, and personal election, and outward signs that mark him as extraordinary and not in the role of common men, is fanaticism. And betrays obtuseness to perceive that there is one mind in all the individuals, and no respect of persons therein. By doing his work, he makes the need felt which he can supply, and creates the taste by which he is enjoyed. By doing his own work, he unfolds himself. It is the vice of our public speaking that it is not abandonment. Somewhere, not only every orator, but every man should let out all the length of all the reins, should find or make a frank and hearty expression of what force and meaning is in him. The common experience is that the man fits himself as well as he can to the customary details of that work or trade he falls into and tends it as a dog turns a spit. Then as he a part of the machine, he moves, the man is lost. Until he can manage to communicate himself to others in his full stature and proportion, he does not yet find his vocation. He must find in that an outlet for his character, so that he may justify his work to their eyes. If the labor is mean, let him, by his thinking and character, make it liberal. Whatever he knows and thinks, whatever in his apprehension is worth doing, that let him communicate or men will never know and honor him aright. Foolish whenever you take the meanness and formality of that thing you do, instead of converting it into the obedient spiracle of your character and aims. We like only such actions as have already long had the praise of men, and do not perceive that anything man can do may be divinely done. We think greatness entailed or organized in some places or duties, in certain offices or occasions. I do not see that Paganini can extract rapture from a catgut, and Eulenstein from a Jew's harp, and a nimble-fingered lad out of shreds of paper with his scissors, and landseer out of swine, and the hero out of the pitiful habitation and company in which he was hidden. What we call obscure condition or vulgar society, is that condition in society whose poetry is not yet written but which you shall presently make as enviable and renowned as any in our estimates let us take a lesson from Kings the parts of hospitality the connection of families the impressiveness of death and a thousand other things royalty makes its own estimate of and a royal mind will to make habitually a new estimate that is elevation what a man does that he has what has he to do with hope or fear in himself is his might let him regard no good as solid but that which is in his nature and which must grow out of him as long as he exists the goods of fortune may come and go like summer leaves let him scatter them on every wind as the momentary signs of his infinite productiveness he may have his own A man's genius, the quality that differences him from every other, the susceptibility to one class of influences, the selection of what is fit for him, the rejection of what is unfit, determines for him the character of the universe. A man is a method, a progressive arrangement, a selecting principle gathering his like to him wherever he goes. He takes only his own out of the multiplicity that sweeps and circles round him. He is like one of those booms which are set out from the shore on rivers to catch driftwood, or like the lodestone amongst splinters of steel. Those facts, words, persons which dwell in his memory without his being able to say why, remain because they have a relation to him not less real for being as yet unapprehended. They are symbols of value to him as they can interpret parts of his consciousness, which he would vainly seek words for in the conventional images of books and other minds. What attracts my attention shall have it, as I will go to the man who knocks at my door, whilst a thousand persons is worthy to go by it, to whom I give no regard. It is enough that these particulars speak to me, a few anecdotes, a few traits of character, manners, face, few incidents have an emphasis in your memory out of all proportion to their apparent significance if you measure them by the ordinary standards. They relate to your gift. Let them have their weight and not reject them and cast about for illustrations and facts more usual in literature. What your heart thinks great is great. The soul's emphasis is always right. Over all things that are agreeable to his nature and genius, the man has the highest right. Everywhere he may take what belongs to his spiritual estate, nor can he take anything else, though all doors were open, nor can all the force of men hinder him from taking so much. It is vain to attempt to keep a secret from one who has a right to know it. It will tell itself. That mood into which a friend can bring us is his dominion over us to the thoughts of that state of mind he has a right all the secrets of that state of mind he can compel this is a law which statesmen use in practice all the terrors of the french republic which held austria in awe were unable to command her diplomacy but napoleon sent to vienna monsieur de narbonne one of the old noblesse With the morals manners and name of that interest saying that it was indispensable to send the old aristocracy of europe men of the same connection which in fact constitutes a sort of freemasonry monsieur de narbon in less than a fortnight penetrated all the secrets of the imperial cabinet nothing seems so easy as to speak and to be understood yet a man may come to find that the strongest of defenses and of ties that he has been understood, and he who has received an opinion may come to find it the most inconvenient of bonds. If a teacher have any opinion which he wishes to conceal, his pupils will become as fully indoctrinated into that as into any which he publishes. If you pour water into a vessel twisted into coils and angles, it is vain to say, I will pour it only into this or that. It will find its level in all. Men feel and act the consequences of your doctrine without being able to show how they follow. Show us an arc of the curve, and a good mathematician will find out the whole figure. We are always reasoning from the seen to the unseen, hence the perfect intelligence that subsists between wise men of remote ages. A man cannot bury his meaning so deep in his book, but time and like-minded men will find them. Plato had a secret doctrine, had he? What secret can he conceal from the eyes of Bacon, of Montagony, of Kant? Therefore, Aristotle said of his works, they are published and not published. No man can learn what he is not preparation for learning, however near to his eyes is the object. A chemist may tell his most precious secrets to a carpenter, and he shall be never the wiser the secrets he would not utter to a chemist for an estate god screens us evermore from premature ideas our eyes are holden that we cannot see things that stare us in the face until the hour arrives when the mind is ripened then we behold them and the time when we saw them not is like a dream not in nature but in man is all the beauty and worth he sees the world is very empty, and he is indebted to this gilding, exalting soul for all its pride. Earth fills her lap with splendors, not her own. The vale of Tempe, and Tivoli, and Rome are earth and water, rocks and sky. There is good earth and water in a thousand places, yet how unaffecting people are not the better for the sun and moon, the horizon and the trees. As it is not observed that the keepers of Roman galleries or the valets of painters have any elevation of thought, or that librarians are wiser men than others, there are graces in the demeanour of a polished and noble person which are lost upon the eye of a churl. These are like the stars whose light has not yet reached us. He may see what he maketh. Our dreams are the sequel of our waking knowledge. The visions of the night bear some proportion to the visions of the day. Hideous dreams are exaggerations of the sins of the day. We see our evil affections embodied in bad physiognomies. On the Alps, the traveler sometimes beholds his own shadow magnified to a giant, so that every gesture of his hand is terrific. "'My children,' said an old man to his boy, scared by a figure in the dark entry. "'My children, you will never see anything worse.' than yourselves as in dreams so in the scarcely less fluid events of the world every man sees himself in colossal without knowing that it is himself the good compared to the evil which he sees is as his own good to his own evil every quality of his mind is magnified in some one acquaintance and every emotion of his heart in some one he is like a quincunx of trees which counts five east west north or south or an initial medial and terminal acrostic and why not he cleaves to one person and avoids another according to their likeness or unlikeness to himself truly seeking himself and his associates and moreover in his trade and habits and gestures and meats and drinks and comes at last to be faithfully represented by every view you take of his circumstances he may read what he writes what can we see or acquire but what we are you have observed a skillful man reading virgil well that author is a thousand books to a thousand persons take the book into your two hands and read your eyes out you will never find what i find if any ingenious reader would have a monopoly of the wisdom or delight he gets he is as secure now the book is english as if it were imprisoned in the paloo's tongue it is with a good book as it is with good company introduce a base person among gentlemen it is all to no purpose he is not their fellow every society protects itself the company is perfectly safe and he is not one of them though his body is in the room what avails it to fight with the eternal laws of mind which adjust the relation of all persons to each other by the mathematical measure of their havings and beings Gertrude is enamored of Guy, how high, how aristocratic, how Roman, his mean in manners, to live with him were life indeed and no purchase is too great, and heaven and earth are moved to that end. Well, Gertrude has Guy, but what now avails how high, how aristocratic, how Roman his mean in manners, if his heart and aims are in the senate, in the theater, and in the billiard room, and she has no aims, no conversation that can enchant her graceful lord. He shall have his own society we can love nothing but nature most wonderful talents the most meritorious exertions really avail very little with us but nearness or likeness of nature how beautiful is the ease of its victory persons approach us famous for their beauty for their accomplishments worthy of all wonder for their charms and gifts they dedicate their whole skill to the hour and the company with very imperfect result be sure it would be ungrateful in us not to praise them loudly then when all is done a person of related mind brother or sister by nature comes to us so softly and easily so nearly and intimately as if it were the blood in our proper veins that we feel as if someone was gone instead of another having come we are utterly relieved and refreshed it is a sort of joyful solitude We foolishly think in our days of sin that we must court friends by compliance to the customs of society, to its dress, its breeding, and its estimates. But only that soul can be my friend which I encounter on the line of my own march, that soul to which I do not decline, and which does not decline to me, but native of the same celestial latitude repeats in its own all my experience. The scholar forgets himself and apes the customs and costumes of the man of the world to deserve the smile of beauty and follows some giddy girl not yet taught by religious passion to know the noble woman with all that is serene oracular and beautiful in her soul let him be great and love shall follow him nothing is more deeply punished than the neglect of the affinities by which alone society should be formed And the insane levity of choosing associates by others' eyes. He may set his own rate. Is a maxim worthy of all acceptation that a man may have that allowance he takes? Take the place and attitude which belong to you, and all men acquiesce. The world must be just. It leaves every man with profound unconcern to set his own rate. Hero or driveller. it meddles not in the matter. It will certainly accept your own measure of your doing and being whether you sneak about and deny your own name or whether you seek your work produced to the concave sphere of the heavens one with the revolution of the stars the same reality pervades all teaching the man may teach by doing and not otherwise if he can communicate himself he can teach but not by words he teaches who gives and he learns who receives There is no teaching until the pupil is brought into the same state or principle in which you are a transfusion takes place he is you and you are he then is a teaching and by no unfriendly chance or bad company can he ever quite lose the benefit but your propositions run out of one ear as they ran in at the other we see it advertised that mr grand will deliver an oration on the fourth of july and Mr. Hand before the Mechanics' Association, and we do not go thither because we know that these gentlemen will not communicate their own character and experience to the company. If we had reason to expect such a confidence, we should go through all inconvenience and opposition. The sick would be carried in litters, but a public oration is an escapade, a non committal, an apology, a gag, and not a communication, not a speech, not a man. A like nemesis presides over all intellectual works. We have yet to learn that the thing uttered in words is not, therefore, affirmed. It must affirm itself, or no forms of logic or of oath can give it evidence. The sentence must also contain its own apology for being spoken. The effect of any writing on the public mind is mathematically measurable by its depth of thought. How much water does it draw? If it awaken you to think, if it lift you from your feet with the great voice of eloquence, then the effect is to be wide, slow, permanent over the minds of men. If the pages instruct you not, they will die like flies in the hour. The way to speak and write what shall not go out of fashion is to speak and write sincerely. The argument which has not power to reach my own practice I may well doubt will fail to reach yours. But take Sidney's maxim, look in thy heart, and write. He that writes to himself writes to an eternal public. That statement only is fit to be made public, which you have come at in attempting to satisfy your own curiosity. The writer who takes his subject from his ear and not from his heart should know that he has lost as much as he seems to have gained. And when the empty book has gathered all its praise and half the people say what poetry what genius it still needs fuel to make fire that only profits which is profitable life alone can impart life and though we should burst we can only be valued as we make ourselves valuable there's no luck in literary reputation they who make up the final verdict upon every book are not the partial and noisy readers of the hour when it appears But a court of angels, a public not to be bribed, not to be entreated, and not to be overawed, Decides upon every man's title to fame. Only those books come down which deserve to last. Gilt edges, vellum, and Morocco, and presentation copies to all the libraries Will not preserve a book in circulation beyond its intrinsic date. And must go, with all Walpole's noble and royal authors, to its fate, Blackmore, Kotzebue, or Pollock may endure for a night, but Moses and Homer stand forever. There are not in the world any at one time, more than a dozen persons who read and understand Plato. Never enough to pay for an edition of his works. Yet to every generation these come duly down for the sake of those few persons, as if God brought them in his hand. No book, said Bentley, was ever written down by any but itself. The permanence of all books is fixed by no effort, friendly or hostile, but by their own specific gravity, or the intrinsic importance of their contents to the constant mind of man. Do not trouble yourself too much about the light on your statue," said Michelangelo to the young sculptor. The light of the public square will test its value. In like manner the effect of every action is measured by the depth of the sentiment from which it proceeds. The great man knew not that he was great it took a century or two for that fact to appear what he did he did because he must it was the most natural thing in the world and he grew out of the circumstances of the moment but now everything he did even to the lifting of his finger or the eating of bread looks large all related and is called an institution these are the demonstrations in a few particulars of the genius of nature They show the direction of the stream, but the stream is blood, every drop is alive. Truth has not single victories, all things are its organs, not only dust and stones, but errors and lies. The laws of disease, physicians say, are as beautiful as the laws of health. Our philosophy is as affirmative and readily accepts the testimony of negative facts as every shadow points to the sun. By a divine necessity, every fact in nature is constrained to offer its testimony. Human character evermore publishes itself, the most fugitive deed and word, the mere air of doing a thing, the intimated purpose, expresses character. If you act, you show character, if you sit still, if you sleep, you show it. You think, because you have spoken nothing when others spoke, and have given no opinion on the times, on the church, on slavery, on marriage, on socialism, on secret societies, on the college, on parties and persons, that your verdict is still expected with curiosity as reserved wisdom. Far otherwise, your silence answers very loud. You have no oracle to utter, and your fellow men have learned that you cannot help them, for oracles speak. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? Dreadful limits are set in nature to the powers of dissimulation. Truth tyrannizes over the unwilling members of the body. Faces never lie, it is said. No man need be deceived who will study the changes of expression. When a man speaks the truth in the spirit of truth, his eyes as clear as the heavens. When he has base ends and speaks falsely, the eye is muddy and sometimes a squint. I have heard an experienced counselor say that he never feared the effect upon a jury of a lawyer who does not believe in his heart that his client ought to have a verdict. If he does not believe it it is his unbelief will appear to the jury despite all his protestations and will become their unbelief. This is that law whereby a work of art, of whatever kind, sets us in the same state of mind wherein the artist was when he made it. That which we do not believe we cannot adequately say, though we may repeat the words never so often. It was this conviction which Svettenborg expressed when he described a group of persons in the spiritual world endeavoring in vain to articulate a proposition which they did not believe but they could not, though they twisted and folded their lips even to indignation. A man passes, for that he is worth. Very idle is all curiosity concerning other people's estimate of us, and all fears of remaining unknown is not less so. If a man know that he can do anything, that he can do it better than anyone else, he has a pledge of the acknowledgment of that fact by all persons. The world is full of judgment days, and into every assembly that a man enters, in every action he attempts, he is gauged and stamped, and every troop of boys that whoop and run in each yard and square a newcomer is as well and accurately weighed in the course of a few days, and stamped with his right number, as if he had undergone a formal trial of his strength, speed, and temper. A stranger comes from a distant school with better dress, with trinkets in his pockets, with airs and pretensions. An older boy says to himself, it's of no use. We shall find him out tomorrow. What has he done is the divine question which searches men and transpierces every false reputation. A fop may sit in any chair of the world, nor be distinguished for his hour from Homer and Washington, but there need never be any doubt concerning the respective ability of human beings. Pretension may sit still, but cannot act. Pretension never feigned an act of real greatness. Pretension never rode an Iliad, nor drove back Xerxes, nor Christianized the world, nor abolished slavery. As much virtue as there is, so much appears. As much goodness as there is, so much reverence it commands. All the devils respect virtue. The high, the generous, the self-devoted sect will always instruct and command mankind. Never was a sincere word, utterly lost, never a magnanimity fell to the ground, but there is some heart to greet and accept it unexpectedly. A man passes for that he is worth. What he is engraves itself on his face, on his form, on his fortunes, in letters of light. Concealment avails him nothing, boasting nothing. There is confession in the glances of our eyes, in our smiles, in salutations, and the grasp of hands. His sin bedaubs him, mars all his good impression. Men know not why they do not trust him, but they do not trust him. His vice glasses his eye, cuts lines of mean expression, in his cheek pinches the nose, sets the mark of the beast on the back of the head, and writes, O oh fool, fool, on the forehead of a king. If you would not be known to do anything, never do it. A man may play the fool in the drifts of a desert, but every grain of sand shall seem to see. He may be a solitary eater, but he cannot keep his foolish counsel. A broken complexion, a swinish look, ungenerous acts, and the want of due knowledge, all blab. Can a cook, a chiffinch, an Iacomo be mistaken for Zeno or Paul? Confucius exclaimed, How can a man be concealed? How can a man be concealed? On the other hand, the hero fears not that if he withhold the avowal of a just and brave act, it will go unwitnessed and unloved. One knows it, himself, and is pledged by it to sweetness of peace and a nobleness of aim, which will prove in the end a better proclamation of it than the relating of the incident. Virtue is the adherence in action to the nature of things, and the nature of things makes it prevalent. It consists in a perpetual substitution of being for seeming, and with the sublime propriety god is described as saying i am the lesson which these observations convey is be and not seem let us acquiesce let us take our bloated nothingness out of the path of the divine circuits let us unlearn our wisdom of the world let us lie low in the lord's power and learn the truth alone makes rich and great if you visit your friend Why need you apologize for not having visited him, and waste his time and deface your own act? Visit him now. Let him feel that the highest love has come to see him, in thee its lowest organ. Or why need you torment yourself and friend by secret self reproaches that you have not assisted him or complimented him with gifts and salutations heretofore? Be a gift and benediction. Shine with real light and not with the borrowed reflection of gifts. Common men are apologies for men. They bow the head, excuse himself with prolix reasons, and accumulate appearances because the substance is not. We are full of these superstitions of sense, the worship of magnitude. We call a poet inactive because he is not a president, a merchant, or a porter. We adore an institution, and do not see that it is founded on a thought which we have. But real action. Is in silent moments. The epochs of our life are not in the visible facts of our choice of a calling, our marriage, our acquisition of an office, and the like, but in a silent thought by the wayside as we walk, in a thought which revises our entire manner of life and says, Thus hast thou done, but it were better thus. And all our after years, like menials, serve and wait on this, and according to their ability, execute its will this revisal or correction is a constant force which as a tendency reaches through our lifetime the object of the man the aim of these moments is to make daylight shine through him to suffer the law to traverse his whole being without obstruction so that on what point soever of his doing your eye falls it shall report truly of his character whether it be his diet his house his religious forms his society his mirth his vote his opposition now he is not homogeneous but heterogeneous and the ray does not traverse there are no thorough lights but the eye of the beholder is puzzled detecting many unlike tendencies in a life not yet at one why should we make it a point with our false modesty to disparage that man we are and that form of being assigned to us A good man is contented i love and honor epaminondas but i do not wish to be epaminondas i hold it more just to love the world of this hour than the world of his hour nor can you if i am true excite me to the least uneasiness by saying he acted and thou sittest still i see action to be good when the need is and sitting still to be also good epaminondas if he was the man i take him for would have sat still with joy and peace if his lot had been mine heaven is large and affords space for all modes of love and fortitude why should we be busybodies and super serviceable action and inaction are alike to the true one piece of the tree is cut for a weathercock and one for the sleeper of a bridge the virtue of the wood is apparent in both I desire not to disgrace the soul The fact that I am here certainly shows me that the soul had need of an organ here. Shall I not assume the post? Shall I skulk and dodge and duck with my unseasonable apologies and vain modesty and imagine my being here impertinent, less pertinent than Epaminondas or Homer being there, and that the soul did not know its own needs? Besides, without any reasoning on the matter, I have no discontent. The good soul nourishes me, and unlocks new magazines of power and enjoyment to me every day. I will not meanly decline the immensity of good, because I have heard that it has come to others in another shape. Besides, why should we be cowed by the name of action? Tis a trick of the senses, no more. We know that the ancestor of every action is a thought. The poor mind does not seem to itself to be anything unless it have an outside badge. Some Gentoo diet, or Quaker coat, or Calvinistic prayer meeting, or philanthropic society, or a great donation, or a high office, or anyhow some wild contrasting action to testify that it is somewhat. The rich mind lies in the sun, and sleeps, and is nature. To think is to act. Let us, if we must have great actions, make our own so. All action is of an infinite elasticity, and the least admits of being inflated with the celestial air until it eclipses the sun and moon. Let us seek one peace by fidelity. Let me heed my duties. Why need I go gadding into scenes in philosophy of Greek and Italian history before I have justified myself to my benefactors? How dare I read Washington's campaigns when I have not answered the letters of my own correspondence? Is not that a just objection to much of our reading? It is a pusillanimous desertion of our work to gaze after our neighbors. It is peeping. Byron says of Jack Bunting, He knew not what to say, and so he swore. I may say it of our preposterous use of books. He knew not what to do, and so he read. I can think of nothing to fill my time with, and I find the life of Brandt. It is a very extravagant compliment to pay to Brant, or to General Schoulier, or to General Washington. My time should be as good as their time, my facts, my net of relations, as good as theirs, or either of theirs. Rather, let me do my work so well that other idlers, if they choose, may compare my texture with a texture of these, and find it identical with the best. This overestimate of the possibilities of Paul and Pericles, this underestimate of our own, Comes from a neglect of the fact of an identical nature. Bonaparte knew but one merit and rewarded in one and the same way the good soldier, the good astronomer, the good poet, the good player. The poet uses the names of Caesar, of Tamerlane, of Banduka, of Belisarius. The painter uses the conventional story of the Virgin Mary, of Paul, of Peter. He does not therefore defer to the nature of these accidental men, of these stock heroes if the poet write a true drama then he is caesar and not the player of caesar then the self-same strain of thought emotion is pure wit as subtle motions as swift mounting extravagant and a heart as great self-sufficing dauntless which on the waves of its love and hope can uplift all that is reckoned solid and precious in the world palaces gardens money navies kingdoms marking its own incomparable worth by the slight it casts on these gods of men These all are his, and by the power of these he rouses the nations. Let a man believe in God, and not in names and places and persons. Let the great soul incarnated in some woman's form, poor and sad and single, in some dolly or joan, go out to service and sweep chambers and scour floors, and its effulgent daybeams cannot be muffled or hid, but to sweep and scour will instantly appear supreme and beautiful actions. The top and radiance of human life and all people will get mops and brooms until, lo, suddenly the great soul has enshrined itself in some other form and done some other deed, and that is now the flower and head of all living nature. We are the photometers. We are the irritable gold leaf and tin foil that measure the accumulations of the subtle element. We know the authentic effects of the true fire, through every one of its million disguises. End of Essay 4 Spiritual Laws